In Matthew 24, Jesus tells us things that will come at the end of this world. Starting at verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus is warning them, Don't be so impressed with these buildings made by man, or even the mountains or the trees. For at the end, Everything on this present earth will be destroyed by God and even the heavens will roll up as a scroll and pass away with a great noise. So don't be so impressed with the buildings made by men and the work of their hands because it will all be torn down at the end. Verse 3, And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming, and of the end of the world? In the rest of this chapter, Jesus is going to speak about this subject of the end of this world and the signs of the end of this world. Verse 4 and 5. Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Many will come confessing Jesus is Christ, Jesus is Lord. And when they say that, they will deceive many because they will be automatically accepted as being true ministers of God or true Christians. So they will accept people in the congregation. They will accept people who come saying they're pastors. They will accept false teachers. They will accept false prophets and false evangelists and false apostles. For they will come as ministers of Satan, as angels of light, says the Apostle Paul. So Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. Verse 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nations shall rise against nations, and kingdoms against kingdoms, and there shall be famines and pestilences, and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Let's look closely at this for a moment. Ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. How could you not be troubled? The only way you cannot be troubled is through prayer. When Donald Trump was elected president and had the nuclear weapon button at his side at all times, 
and access to the nuclear weapons. That's the first thing I thought about when he was elected president. And during the time he was in office as president, I often prayed that he not start a nuclear war. At one point, the person in charge in China was battling Trump verbally. And this guy said something like, I have nuclear weapons. And Donald Trump replied, so do I and mine actually work. I began praying, don't let him start a nuclear war, please. Even up until the day he was out of the White House and the nuclear weapons box was removed from him, I was praying through those four years and through his last days in office, I was praying, please don't let him start a nuclear war. Now, I am non-political. I'm not registered Democrat or Republican. I just observe occasionally. But that concerned me. So if you, you live on the other side of the world from me, and there are various uprisings in different parts of the world, and you're in the path of the uprising, how can you not be troubled? Prayer. You can say, God, do you want me to move? What do you want me to do? Is there anything I should do? Please help me. And you pray for the rulers, just like it says to do in the Bible. That's in, uh, I believe, 1 Timothy 2, where Paul told us to pray for those in authority. So that's the only way I know of that you cannot, that you can keep from being troubled. When there's a threat of war, you pray. And you be very sensitive to the Holy Spirit. It's not that you figure out where you can go to be safe. It's that you pray, and if you just kind of be real sensitive to anything God would show you to do. And unless God shows you something to do, don't do anything. So these are the beginning of sorrows. How could Hitler not be a part of this? I mean, it's impossible to think that Hitler couldn't be a part of this. With what he did in destroying the Jewish nation and what he did towards the whole world in destruction, he has to have been a part of this. But so does Napoleon. And going on back to the time of John, because John explained in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18 and 19, John explained to us that they were living in the end time. The end time technically began at the time Jesus was taken into heaven after the crucifixion. After Jesus was raised from the dead and taken into heaven, that was the beginning of the end time. And this is the reason that so often you will read, I come soon, and yet it's been 2,000 years. Well, a day in the sight of the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day, says the Apostle Peter. Second Peter chapter 3. Time in the sight of God is not the same as time in our sight. 
But since the time of the resurrection, the end time began. So any of the wars between the resurrection of Jesus and now would be a part of this scripture. For nations shall rise against nation and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. What about this pestilence subject? Does that remind you of anything? How about coronavirus? That affected the entire world. And we've certainly seen earthquakes in diverse places. We see them all the time. There were three or four reported about a week ago. I look at that headlines on that CNN International News. Often I don't read the stories. I read very few of the stories, but I look at the headlines. I'm interested in things like earthquakes and things that happen in the sky, which man cannot control. All these are the beginning of sorrows, says Jesus. Verse Nine, and then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted, and they shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. We've certainly seen that. John the, he- John the Baptist was beheaded by Herod. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. I believe that's the love for the word of God will wax cold. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. Iniquity abounds right now. You can't turn on your television set without seeing partial nudity on the commercials. You will see all types of iniquity. Sex outside of marriage. Homosexual lesbians flaunted before our face. Now I'm speaking what God says is sin, not what I made up. When I speak homosexual lesbian, I'm speaking Romans chapter 1. God's view, not my, my view, what the Bible says. Romans 1 start at verse 25 who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error which was meat. This is Romans chapter 1 in the New Testament, verses 25 through 27. This is God's opinion for us to conform ourselves to. Back to Matthew 24 in the last days, verse 10. Matthew 24, verse 10, start there. 
And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another. We saw that all during World War II. We see it now as in businesses, some people hate another person and they go to the boss and spread evil. In politics, we see it all the time. And then many shall be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. Verse 11, and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. In Hebrews 10, verse 25, we read, Exhorting one another, and even more as you see the day approaching. Because if we sin willfully, there is no more sacrifice for sins. So exhort one another, warn them, speak to them by advice and warning to hopefully keep them from sinning. So Jesus says, He that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Endure. I believe part of the endurance is keeping godly exhortations in front of you. Today we have blogs, we have podcasts, we have books, which are godly, some of them. And we can choose the ones that go conform to Scripture and keep them before us. Keep them before you day and night. Keep a list of the Scriptures given to you by the Holy Spirit. I do that by keeping them on my Kindle photo album. And lots of times during at morning I'll read those Scriptures. And at night when I go to bed, I will often read those scriptures and think upon them. And then I will add more scriptures when God gives me more scriptures. And then as I feel I've absorbed this scripture into my heart, I will maybe delete that scripture, but I'll be adding scriptures all the time. And this is an easy way to keep them before you day and night, is to use your tablet and your photo album to put scriptures on. Again, Matthew 24, verses 11, 12. And many false prophets shall rise, and shall be deceived many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now the gospel has been preached throughout the entire world on internet, in all nations. Therefore, Jesus could basically come any time. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2, the apostle Paul said, The day of the Lord would not come except there was a falling away first and the man of sin be revealed, Antichrist. Now, in 1982, in this passage of Scripture in 2 Thessalonians 2, concerning the falling away, God said to me, the falling away are not individuals leaving the churches. The falling away are the churches leaving the Scriptures. And when the churches 
cast out individual scriptures and set up another doctrine, Antichrist, the door is open for Antichrist to move into that church group. We have seen it virtually everywhere. One example, Matthew 5.32, the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5.32. When was the last time you heard that preached at your church group? I've never heard it preached. It would not be popular. Therefore, pastors are all the time performing wedding ceremonies where men in their church marry divorced women at the church. Antichrist. That is an example of Antichrist. There are many other examples. It's all over. So Jesus says, before I can return, this falling away has to come in the churches and Antichrist in the churches. You may have been taught there is only one Antichrist. I was when I went to church. And you were taught probably that he comes through governments of men. In the 1800s, according to Tolstoy, who wrote War and Peace, in War and Peace it tells about the Russians who thought Napoleon was the Antichrist. Certainly in World War II, some people had to think Hitler was the Antichrist. I had a woman say to me once, but Hitler, Antichrist comes in peace, speaking peace. And he destroys many by speaking peace. Well, that woman didn't know about Hitler. Have you ever heard of the conference at Munich? where the Prime Minister of England came and the President of France and gathered with Hitler, and Hitler spoke peace all the time he was speaking peace to them. He was planning to invade different nations. He came speaking peace, but he was planning war. So Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Well, let's, let's look at 1 John first. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18-19. Is there just one Antichrist? John answers it for us. And does Antichrist come through the governments of men? John tells us that. 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 and 19. Little children, it is the last time. John is speaking to their church group. And as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. Many Antichrists coming through the churches of God. Now since that time, men set up denominations so that they could do what they wanted to do. 
in their own churches and ignore scripture. So those of us who are of God will try to go to those churches and then they will be telling us something totally opposite from Bible and we will know it. So we have to leave them. Today, it's us leaving Antichrist in the churches who have taken over the churches. Now back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, for this is what Paul is talking about. As long as Paul and John and the early church was there, Paul would keep a rein on them. He said once to the elders at Ephesus, Ephesus, and this is in Acts 20, he said, I know you will see my face no more, and therefore I warn you, grievous wolves will arise, not sparing the flock. And from some of you elders, you are just waiting until I'm gone so that you can rise up and speak perverse things. Setting up different denominations is what Paul is saying. That's in Acts 20. Now, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day of the Lord shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called of called God, or that is worship, so that he sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. In the churches, showing himself that he is God. Many antichrists, both in the ministries and in the ind- individuals who sit in the churches where scripture has been perverted, These are all antichrists. They will not receive the love of the truth that they can be saved. We read that in 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 10 through 12. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause... God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. God shall send them strong delusion because they don't have a love of the truth. I was speaking with a woman one time, and I had already been taught that scripture, taught by God, that scripture in First John, where there would be many antichrists. The subject of Antichrist came up, and she went to some church. I don't know which one, but she went to some church, and I said, but there are many Antichrists. And I read that scripture to her, and she listened to it, and she knew I was reading from the Bible. And she said, well, I think I'll just keep going along with what my church teaches, that there's one Antichrist, and he comes through governments of men. She refused the love of the truth though she knew I was speaking the Bible. Second Thessalonians 2, verses 10 through 12. Let's read this again. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong 
delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believed not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Recently, God said to me, they have an appearance of godliness. They love their church buildings. They love the stained glass. They love the carved wood where the minister preaches to them. But they do not have a love of the Word of God. That's not their delight. Their delight is in their building. Their delight is in their church congregation where they have parties or they have dinners. Their delight is in the singles group where they hope to meet a husband or a wife. But it's not in the Word of God because the Word of God is perverted in the church and they stay there. They do not have the love of the Word of God. One time, God gave me a dream about my favorite aunt, and she truly was of God. She had even been taken into heaven once. She told me about it, and she said it was all golden. And she had a strong spirituality, and she loved the Word of God. She really did. But she told me before she died that she knew things were wrong at the church. But she stayed there. God gave me a dream about her. Actually, two dreams. In one dream, I went into this auditorium, and she and my mother were seated about halfway back in the auditorium, and I knew God was showing me she did not receive a full reward. My aunt did not. What What did she do? She had the truth, but she stayed in a church where she knew things were wrong. She lost reward. Then the second dream, I went into a room. On one side of the wall, there were baby bassinets all the way down the wall. And I went over to look at the babies. I looked in the first bassinet, and I was shocked. The baby was horribly deformed, horribly deformed. I looked in the second one, and the baby was horribly deformed. And I went on down the row, and every one of the babies were horribly deformed. At the end of the row of babies was my favorite aunt. She was about 40 years old in the dream. She was a mature woman, but on her face were these terrible brown spots and blemishes. Interpretation of the dream, the babies were people in the churches who never grew up. They couldn't eat strong meat. They hadn't ever been weaned away from the milk. And they were very deformed by the food they were getting at their churches. The part about my aunt, she was a mature person. She did love the Word of God. But she would not leave her church when she knew things were wrong at her church. In 1979, God gave me a terrifying dream. There was a 
room where a meeting was going on, a man was speaking to the group. I went into the room and sat down in a chair there in the room, and I began listening to the man who was speaking. A second man rushed in and said, Stop, wait, can't you see? It's too late. It's already begun. He disappeared, and the first man continued speaking. No one in the room tried to see what had already begun except for me, and I wanted to see. So I looked out the window, and I saw something was terribly shocking. There was a tall pole with a yellow civil defense-type speaker on top of the pole. Those speakers are supposed to warn you But in this speaker, I saw a white gas coming out of the speaker, and it was poisonous, and it was going to kill the people, and it was drifting directly toward those of us who were seated in the room. The most terrible thing about it was this. The very speaker who is set there to warn you was the speaker that was delivering the poison gas which would kill you. I looked at the man seated next to me. He had a big smile on his face, and he was looking directly at the speaker, at the man who was speaking. And then I saw he was dead. He was a corpse. He was already dead. I looked around the room, and all the people were dead. And as I sat among them, I knew... The gas coming from the speaker was going to kill me if I stayed in that room. Those were the churches. The speaker were the pastors. The speakers were Antichrist who didn't speak the whole truth of the New Testament Bible. They withheld some of it. One of the things Paul said to the elders at Ephesus is I knew I know you will see my face no more. Therefore, I want to tell you, I have not withheld anything from you that is profitable for you, but I have given you the whole counsel of God. You can read that in Acts 20. At first, I did not know what this dream meant about the poison gas. In 1982, I went to a church meeting at Word of Faith. The man sitting next to me, I was glancing at him. He had a big smile on his face and was looking directly at the pastor, Robert Tilton, who was speaking to the group. This was the man in the poison gas dream where I saw he was already, he was a corpse. He was already dead. I was just stunned, shocked. I looked at the other people in the congregation, and they seemed to be the congregation that I saw in that poison gas dream in 1979. I got up immediately and went into the ladies' room and started praying. And I said to God, I think you are showing me that you want me to leave this church group. Therefore, I'm going out and getting in my car and driving away. But if I'm wrong and you want me to come back, please just tell me and I will turn around and come back. God did not want me to come back. At that point in time, he began showing me many errors in that movement. 
That's recorded on another podcast, The Faith Movement. If you're interested, you can uh, you can pull that up on our podcast. Now we go back to Matthew 24. For the only thing I've spoken about today so far are the beginning of sorrows. Once again, Matthew 24, verse 6, And ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that ye be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nations shall rise against nations and kingdoms against kingdoms. And there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. Revelation chapter 8, verse 1. And when he, Jesus, had opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven about the space of an half hour. And I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets, and they're going to loose the great tribulation. Verse 6. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Verse 7. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood, and they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees was burnt up, and all the green grass was burnt up. Now, let's look at that first plague that's sent by God, the first plague in the Great Tribulation. Hail and fire, lightning, mingled with blood. I don't know what that means. And they were cast upon the earth, hail and lightning. And the third part of trees was burnt up. Just the third part, not the whole earth, the third part. We saw something similar to this in 2020 when they had the fires in California. Well, in Colorado also. We saw something similar to this first plague. I'm not saying it was the first plague, but I'm not saying it wasn't. I really don't know. Because during that same year, we also had terrible fires in the Amazon region. Now, you might not be aware of the Amazon rainforest, We also had terrible fires in Australia due to lightning. And they thought they were going to leave what's called Sand Island, I believe it's called. They thought they were going to lose that whole island in Australia. The only reason I know about this is I look at that CNN headline, International Listing of News, and I see these things that happen around the world that they report. But at that time in 2020, we had these great fires. And it well could have been the first plague, and you might not know about it. The second plague, one might not know about it. And the third plague, unless you lived in the region, you might not know about it. But the fourth plague, everyone will know about it. Look at the fourth plague. It's in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 8. And the fourth angel sounded, and the third part of the sun was smitten. 
Now, I believe this means we would have a third less sun all over the earth, then everyone would know something was happening. And the third part of the moon and the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened and the day shone not for a third part of it and the night likewise. That's the fourth plague of the Great Tribulation. If you took out a third part of the light, what would happen? You'd probably change the growing season. There would likely be terrible problems if you removed a third part of the daylight. Verse 13, And I beheld and heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. Even worse things were coming. Chapter 8 and 9 of Revelation tells the first seven plagues. Then there were seven more angels and they were given vials of plagues and they poured them out upon the earth. And you read about that in Revelation chapter 16. So there are all told 14 plagues, major plagues, real problems that come upon this earth. What comes next after the Great Tribulation? We can read about that in Matthew 24. Jesus says immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of heaven shall be shaken. Immediately after the great tribulation, powers of heaven shall be shaken. That's in Matthew twenty-four twenty-nine. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will go dark. A woman who was in our church group had a dream about this subject. She and her husband were going out to buy a television. She got to the car and she was waiting for her husband to join her when all of a sudden the sun went dark. She said it was terrifying. She started to run back into the house, but she said she knew that wouldn't do any good. So she just fell down on her knees. It was totally dark in the middle of the day. That's exactly what we're seeing here. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give her light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. God showed this to the Old Testament prophets. Isaiah saw it. Isaiah 13 verse 13. God says... Therefore I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place. In the wrath of the Lord of hosts, and in the day of his fierce anger. 
the earth shall remove out of her place. I will shake the heavens and the earth shall remove out of her place. In 1985, God gave me a dream about this. In that dream, the earth had slipped on its axis. The governments of men were gathered together and were meeting with the scientists and with the religious leaders to see what could be done about the earth moving out, slipping on the axis. Well, nothing can be done. It's of God. It's going to happen in the last days, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the 14 plagues. Immediately after that, the earth will be shaken on her axis. In this dream that I had, people were terrified. The newscaster was trying to speak this report over television. He was so frightened that he just got up and left the studio. He couldn't give the report. See, today newscasters pretend to be sad. They pretend to be appalled. But this newscaster, when this happened, he was so frightened he couldn't even tell about the story because he knew it was going to affect him. Isaiah thirteen thirteen again, Therefore God says, I will shake the heavens, and the earth shall remove out of her place in the wrath of the Lord of hosts in the day of his fierce anger. Once again, in Matthew 24, Jesus says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. What happens next? Everybody's going to see this. The sun won't give any light anywhere. The moon won't shine. The stars fall from heaven. The powers of heaven are shaken. The earth slips in the solar system. What happens after that? So far we've had the great tribulation and the powers of heaven shaken. Verse 30, Matthew 24. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now why... Did he send the angels? Why didn't he just come down to the earth? They saw him coming in the clouds, but there is really no report. I don't think there's a report of Jesus actually coming to this earth. He sent his angels to gather the elect. But the sequence is clear. And if you look at Matthew 24 very clearly, You'll see what to expect if you're still on this earth. If you're on this earth when there's a third less sunlight and it's dark for a third more of the day, what, what do you know? What do you know? You know you've reached the fourth plague of the Great Tribulation. That's where you are in time. And what happens if you 
are in the middle of the day out in your yard and the sun goes totally black all of a sudden and the sky is black. Where are you? Where are you in the sequence of the Bible of what's going to happen? Well, Jesus is going to come right after that because God has shaken the powers of heaven. So if you will look closely at Matthew 24, especially verse 29, you will know where you are in the sequence of events if you're still on the earth when this happens. And some of the elect will still be on this earth because during the Great Tribulation, Jesus said if the time were not shortened, no elect would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, the time will be shortened. That's in Matthew 24. And the prophet Amos tells us what the Great Tribulation will be like. This is a very interesting set of scriptures. It's in Amos, I believe, chapter 5, but I'll look it up and read it to you. It's in Amos chapter 5, verse 18. It starts at verse 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him, or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall, and a serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it? Thank you for allowing me to speak this to you today.